Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good two minutes to midnight, good 4 a.m., I don't know. Welcome down to the nitty gritty. Well, this is, I said that so wrong. Welcome to down to the nitty gritty um, with your host, Lorena Garcia. This is just where I'm going to post any and all of my burning thoughts on a subject that I wouldn't otherwise be able to discuss with another person because they would probably think that this was really boring but it's fine because this episode and the next up the next couple episodes after this are actually going to be really interesting so i hope that they're all jealous we're going to be talking about art history (laughs) and i know i know for me personally art history isn't a thing that i wasn't really interested in before i got here i know that um the topic of art history before coming to temple in my high school was more about you know this european revolution and this you know, artist was living in this time period and the Great Depression and the French, this, that, it was like things like that. But we're getting into a subject that I personally am very um, interested in and very passionate about. And this is unfortunately something that myself and plenty other people on this planet have experienced. We're talking about racism. And so today we're going to be answering the very debilitating question, at least to me, I don't know about anybody else, but to me, can art be separated from its meaning? Can art can the art be separated from the artist? I don't know. Well, okay. I just lied. That I actually do have a very passionate stance on this, but it's fine. It's fine. I actually have a very passionate stance, and that's exactly what we're gonna get into. The exact question that I'm asking today on this this episode of this podcast is regarding racism and different forms of historical art, can art be separated from its meaning if its meaning is harmful? Now, I do want to introduce um, probably one of, well, not probably, definitely one of the most, if not one of the most controversial movie ever made in American history. We're going to be discussing Birth of a Nation. Yay! Um, I'm not excited for this if it's not, if it's not obvious. Um, We're going to be discussing Birth of a Nation. Now, Birth of a Nation, it was, well, the original film was made in 1915 and it is classified as the most controversial movie ever made in American history. Um, and what is the reason for this? Well, if you don't already know, if you're not already familiar, Birth of a Nation is atrociously racist. At, like, it's genuinely horrific how atrocious, how atrociously racist this film is. Um, there's a lot of black characters, but the majority of these black characters are just white people in blackface. Um, you know, these it's, it's a silent film. It's a three-hour silent film. Um, but even though it's a silent film, being that this was 1915, there are, the creative aspects of this movie are ahead of its time, truthfully. Now, why are we, you know what, I'm gonna summarize the film first before I give into my little commentary. So, if you don't know Birth of a Nation, if you don't know what it's about, Birth of a Nation is about the relationship between these two families. One was, um, this, uh, by the way, this all takes place during the time of the Civil War. So, um, this movie is about the relationship between two families where one was in the Confederacy and the other was in the Union. Um, and, you know, in these two families, you know, the, there they're are brothers, not brothers, but, you know, there's, there's the younger kids that go to school together. There's people in the two families that fall in love with each other. There's a, a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of interconnection in between these two families. And, the movie is split up into two parts. So the first part is the build-up to the war, and then the second part was post-war reconstruction, things like that. And so, in the prologue, okay, immediately, prologue. 
the movie essentially blamed the war and blamed, um, you know, the reason for the civil rights, not the civil rights, the reason for the civil war happening on the introduction of Africans to the U.S. Okay, so in the beginning, we have this movie blaming an entire war on the Africans that were brought here against their will. Okay, all right, right. So, like I said, we have characters falling in love. We have um, people in the two families fighting against each other in war and fighting with each other in war. But overall, in the first part, well, pretty much in the whole movie, is very much, there's a really big emphasis on upholding Southern honor, right? So, in the second part. The second part is where it really gets interesting. So, the second part portrays black individuals who weren't faithful to the Confederacy to the South as animals. So, these... The, the black people that were in the film, right, whether they were characters, whether they were actual black people or whether they were just white people in blackface, whatever, whatever the case may be, most of the black characters in this movie who were not faithful to the Confederacy, who were, you know, obviously pro-abolition, things like that, they were portrayed as animals. They were portrayed as rowdy and violent black men were portrayed as rapists they were portrayed as you know savage beings that that you know they like it absolutely ridiculous right so in the movie the kook the kook i I always have trouble freaking saying this these words the ku klux klan there it is i'm just gonna call them the kkk because you know what it is the ku klux klan is born white women um, come together, white southern women, I might add, white southern women come together and they make the costumes and the clan goes around terrorizing people. And so in an attempt to, you know, fight against the clan, a black a black militia is made and white, white sympathizers come together and they fight against the KKK, but they end up losing. So white supremacists end up taking power. Um, you know, the couples that, white, so in, in the end of the movie, right, at least the happily ever after that the white people wanted um white supremacists took power couples that were pulled away throughout the movie um ended up getting married and it was all happily ever after in white people village under the eyes of god right so right now if you want to take a break and you would like to pause here and click the link on the document to watch a clip of what i'm talking about you are absolutely welcome to do so i'll give you a couple seconds to go do that Welcome back. Hopefully you watched the video. If you didn't, it's fine. I hope that you can get a gist of what I'm talking about. So it was a lot of information I just spewed at you. I know, I'm aware. And I apologize because this, it's only going to get really, at least not not from here, but for the rest of this, you know, Birth of a Nation conversation and the rest of this episode pretty much is going to get really heavy. Also, oh my goodness, I forgot to, I completely forgot to give a trigger warning. I do want to give a trigger warning. We're going to be talking a lot about racism, of course, but we are going to talk about um, rape and caricatures and torture and things of that sort. So just to give you, you know, a feel of where this conversation is going to go, I'm so sorry if any of this is triggering, Um, but yes. So I'm aware this was a lot of information that I spewed at you. I don't think that you would really need to watch the film to use the information that I gave you to understand how absolutely horrific this movie was. Okay. But here's the problem. Even though Birth of a Nation was and is the most controversial movie ever made, 
It is absolutely adored, bro. It is absolutely adored. Which is exactly my problem. So, one of the biggest reasons for why, you know, Birth of a Nation, Birth of a Nation is loved as much as it is, is because of the creative aspects of the film. Which is exactly my problem. It, which is exactly my problem. So, in a book written by Melvin Stokes entitled D.W.'s, do you, I'm so sorry, D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, a history of the most controversial motion picture of all time. They talk about, you know, why Birth of a Nation is so controversial, why it's so loved yet so hated, and why it, why, you know, people justify both sides of the argument, why people love it and why people hate it. And so there's a couple quotes in this, you know, book that I, I'm not too happy about and also quotes that I very much support. So just to give one of them, um, Stokes says, They found many scenes of the film offensive because of their racism, and yet, they reported, the filmmaking craft is undeniable. There are many moments of great emotional tenderness as well as masterfully created created battle scenes and thrilling action editing. Alright, so already uncomfortable because of the way that that sentence was, was started. So... The first part of the sentence is they found many scenes of the film offensive because of their racism and yet huh you're starting okay you're starting a sentence with these people found it offensive but that's what that beginning of the sentence is I don't like that <laughs> that's that's the first thing second thing this one sentence pretty much encapsulates my not well um, a major portion of my argument here because they found many of the scenes many of the scenes of the film offensive because of their racism this this movie is racist this movie is racist and the reason why it is so adored is because the the creativity in this film the the filmmaking of the film the production the costumes the things of that sort the acting the editing all of that is ahead of its time this is we want to okay i want to bring us back to 1915 i want to bring us back to 1915 racial tensions were very high Racial tensions were very, very, very high. And, you know, I don't want to ask the questions of why. I don't want to be like, why did, why was this movie ever made? Why did people love it so much? Why did blah, blah, blah. I don't want to ask those. Well, no, I do want to ask why people loved it so much. But I don't want to ask why from the, from the perspective of, you know, a woman of color living in the city, living in 2022, who is very aware of, um, you know, any, any, well, most issues, I don't want to say all because I'm obviously I'm not perfect, but you know most issues regarding race and racism. I would don't want to ask these questions from the perspective of a 2022 woman of color who is very passionate about passionate about deconstructing racism, who has also experienced racism. I don't want to ask those questions from the perspective, but I want to ask the question of you know even now why is it that movies like this are being adored? For the production. Why? Later on in the book, it also says Aaron McGruder, author of the Boondocks cartoon strip and another member of the roundtable, criticized the ways in which birth not only degraded blacks, but also encouraged delusions of grandeur on the part of whites. He insisted that the film, by showing threatening black rapists, helped justify lynching. A lot of people got killed because of this movie. 
people got killed because of this movie. One thing that I that I am saying now and I will stand by until the day I die is when you make a film, D-U-W, I always want to say D-U-W, D-W Griffith, when he made this film in 1915, well, when he published the film in 1915, a direct result of people watching this movie and falling in love with it because of what they thought was absolutely amazing you know, filmmaking of for the time because this is white people. This is when we think of white people in in the early nineteen hundreds in the U.S. This is a time when you could tell a white person in their face that black people have scales on their backs under their clothes, and they would believe you. You could tell them black people have fangs that come out at night, and they are coming to to come eat us all. You could tell them that, and they would believe you. So, I'm not shocked about the fact that, you know, people for the time believed this. That's not my, that's not my shock. My, it's not even that I'm shocked by this. My problem is that people got killed because of this movie. D.W. Griffith, oh my goodness, Lord give me the strength. D.W. Griffith is responsible for the deaths of I don't even know how many black individuals, black Americans, because he made a movie portraying black people as racist, as rapists, I'm sorry, as animals, as rowdy, as violent individuals. And so he's responsible for those deaths because he made the movie. He made the movie. Later on in the book, it also says, Quote, Schnickel concedes that birth does display a degree of moral insensitivity, but he blames this on a series on a series of extraneous reasons. Much of the shooting schedule was improvised at the last moment rather than planned in advance. Griffith bore enormous burdens of logistics and finance. He was isolated in California and distant from organizations such as the NAACP. I wonder whose problem those are. I wonder whose problems those problems are. I wonder. You made a movie that was atrociously racist, and then you're having problems with money. I wonder whose problem that is. Because not only is Griffith responsible for the deaths of I don't even know how many, he gets himself in financial trouble, and he 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 gets in all these um, conflicts with people of the NAACP because you made people who the NAACP are supposed to represent look like animals. That's not anybody's problem but your own. And so, you know, this whole thing is exactly my argument. I don't believe in any universe that pieces, art pieces, forms of artistic expression, I want to, that I don't believe that, that art, forms of artistic expression, whether that be movies, music, TV shows, paintings, poetry, anything of that sort, I don't believe that any of those things that are harmful to audiences directly harmful to audiences that are racist things of that sort should be admired in any way just because they're creative just because they're pretty i don't believe that you can separate racist art from its racism so i want to i want to give my my thesis before i start getting into more um examples of this but my thesis is so, well, to reiterate my question that I asked before is, regarding racism and different forms of historical art, can art be separated from its meaning if its meaning is harmful? And so to that, I very passionately argue that racist forms of artistic expression cannot be separated from their meaning 
if the artist embeds the racism into the art piece and gives the piece significant significant popularity. Now, let's jump ahead in time a little bit. So, this first song that I'm going to introduce is a song by the Rolling Stones. Now, this is a song, I, I want to reiterate this trigger warning, this song is very, very, oh my gosh, this song is so disturbing. Um, this song is so, I don't even have the words to describe how uncomfortable this song makes me. <clears throat> the song is called Brown Sugar and it's by the Rolling Stones. And, you know, when I was saying in my thesis about how, um, you know, I don't believe that racist forms of artistic expression should be separated from their meaning. This is a song where the racism is very, very obvious and it is is very present in the lyrics of the song. Very present in the lyrics of the song. So if you would like to pull up the lyrics that are in the document, you are absolutely welcome to do so. Um, I am also going to do the same. I'm going to read some lyrics from the song. Again, if you don't want to pull up the lyrics, listen. you can also listen to the sound of my voice. But I also want to reiterate, this is, this is going to get very triggering very quickly. So just, you know, to prepare. So first line of the song is, Gold Coast slave ship bound for cotton fields. First red flag. Okay, I'm a writer, right? I'm a writer, I'm a poet. Um, I've written many poems and monologues and, and you know, scenes for plays, things of that sort, and songs, I've written all those things. I understand the importance of imagery, and I understand the importance of figurative language. I, I understand the importance of using metaphors and, and things of that sort. Just using figurative language in general to make, you know, um, a regular subject sound, you know, prettier to the ear. But why are you trying to make slaves, slave ships sound artsy? I don't like that at all. You're making slave ships sound artsy. That's my first problem. Why are you trying to, I don't want to say romanticize, but what? I'm not, you know what? I'm going to move on. <laughs> so that's the first line. Well, no, I'm going to read the first verse and the chorus. So Gold Coast slave ship, I'm so sorry. Gold Coast slave ship bound for cotton fields sold in the market down in New Orleans. Scarred old slaver knows he's doing all right. Hear him whip the women just around midnight. Don't like that at all, okay? Chorus. Brown sugar, how come you taste so good? Brown sugar, you... Brown sugar just like a young girl should. I hope you hear the sigh that just left my body just now because... That's um that's so inappropriate. That's so inappropriate. I want to give some context really quickly. This is Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger is is the man that wrote the song. According to um, iNews UK, this is a you know a pop culture, you know news site for the UK. This song reached number one in the US in 1971. Number number one, number one in the US in 1971 when the song was released, reached number one in the US in 1971 and number two in the UK. Some more context on the song. I'm not gonna say the exact words, right? But the uh, the song originally was supposed to be titled Black P Bleep SSY. Hopefully you're picking up what I'm putting down because this is, oh my gosh. The song, uh, right from the, right from the, right from the jump, the song references 
slavery and sexual violence and torture and things of that sort. So this is Mick Jagger, right? Writing a song as a white man. This is a this is a grown white man in the 70s in the UK making writing a song about a young black female slave and referring to her as brown sugar. Now, now I understand that it's a thing. It's very much a thing to compare the skin color of um, you know, darker skinned individuals, especially black people. It's it's a it's a thing to compare the skin color of, you know, black people especially to different foods to make them sound like prettier or I guess or like appetizing whatever which personally that makes me uncomfortable but it's a thing you see a a, a dark skinned man you call him chocolate you see a brown skin oh well no a dark skinned person you call him dark chocolate brown skin I don't know dark chocolate Hershey kiss ugh, Hershey kiss or whatever light skin caramel something like that all right you know if you ever if you've ever heard I think Brown Sugar is also a song by D'Angelo. So it's it's a very thi- it's a very much a thing to call, you know, to compare um a dark-skinned individual with a food cuz it sounds like appetizing or whatever. But why are you as a white man calling an underage female child slave Brown Sugar? Why are you sexualizing the skin color of a young black slave? Of a young that there's so much wrong with that. There's so much wrong with that. I don't even I have so many thoughts going through my head right now. I don't even know how to properly dissect just that issue. So <clears throat> he's calling Oh my gosh. He's referring to this young underage female slave as brown sugar, right? He's trying to, for lack of better words, romanticize slavery and slave ships going to New Orleans in the first verse. He's setting, he's painting this picture of, you know, these, these slaves being whipped around midnight. There's so, there's so much wrong with this. And so being the fact, being the fact that, um, he's trying to paint a pretty picture out of slavery. He's trying to paint a pretty picture out of slavery. And the fact that this song reached the numbers that it did. It's just so odd to me because I want to I want to bring us back to that, to that article from iNews UK. Um, it also said that, um, quote the song this um by the way the. Where is the I'm so sorry. The article is by the Chicago the Chicago Tribune by the way the article is by the Chicago Tribune it's called the problem with the Rolling Stones Brown Sugar, um I, you know the kind of speaks for itself and the article is by Ian Brennan so. Brennan later says in the article that the song is believed to be inspired by one of the band members' former ex-girlfriends. It took Sir Mick just 45 minutes to write. The frontman admitted in 1995, I would never write that song now. All right, so you have the song, right, trying to romanticize slavery and trying to make it sound sexy. You're talking about um, this little girl, this little girl, young black female slave, and you're trying to make her sound... Like she's out of ew! Oh my gosh! I don't, I'm not even gonna use the words that I was gonna say out loud. I'm not even gonna say that out loud. But you're trying to sexualize this this young girl, and then you're saying, well, no. And then now it's speculated that 
the inspiration for that came from one of your band member's ex-girlfriends. What? There's so much wrong. There's so much wrong. So now that we have that background information, we're going to go back to the to the Tribune article. It says that this... Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I think I confused the articles when I was saying out loud. The iNews UK article... It's very different. But the Chicago Tribune the Chicago Tribune article is what I'm referring to now. So in this article by Ian Brennan, right? It says Brennan says, This is not a call for censorship or curtailing of artistic speech, but a plea for superstars to accept at least a fraction of accountability for their words as the rest of us. Absolutely correct. Me being um a former actress, me being a poet and a writer and things of that sort. I don't believe, I don't believe at all that art should be, no, no, no. I absolutely believe that art should be censored, right? But I believe that whatever it is that you decide to create, whatever it is that you deem as artistic expression, whatever it is that you need to do to release whatever burning thoughts and burning, you know, passions that you have inside, if you, whatever it is that you need to do artistically to fight whatever demons you have going on, Go ahead and do it, right? Is it a problem? Sure. It's a problem that that he's having these thoughts about this ex-girlfriend of his friends. It's a problem that he's having these thoughts about this child um, underage slave. Of course, those are problems. But, you know, he deals with them the way that he feels he has to, right? But later on in the article, it says, The issue today is not that they ever wrote the song, nor that they ever sang it. Or nor that they ever sung it. The fault is that they keep singing it. I don't believe that at all. I don't agree with that at all. I don't believe that the issue started with the fact that they kept singing. I believe the issue started when you sang it the first time. Because, listen, it's one thing to write an article or write a poem or a song, whatever, about something that you're really struggling with and not ever release it. That's one thing. It's one thing to write something that is incredibly personal because I've done that. There are so many pieces that I have in, you know, my little in my notes app or in my notebook or whatever that I never plan on showing to anybody because those are incredibly personal and I don't want the world to see those. Right. It's one thing to be fighting your demons in a way that is healthy, you know, through writing and never letting it see the the never letting it see the sun. But then you sang it, you published it. You let other people hear it. And then now the song is everywhere, right? And then 20 years later, you're saying, oh, I regret writing this. I would never write it now. Huh? Whose problem is that? Yours. It's your problem. Because remember, this is the 70s. This is the early 70s. This is a time when, you know, like like now, a song goes viral on TikTok and then suddenly you're hearing it in the I don't in a bus I don't mm-hmm. you're hearing it in the bus you're hearing it probably in the train station you're hearing it in the supermarket this is like the the song the song was all over the radio so imagine like now's how now we have like yeah I, <laughs> now the way that music spreads is like through social media and through radio and through you know different apps and streaming platforms of that and and that Oh my gosh, English. That kind of stuff, right? So we have this song spreading like rap. This this song is spreading like wildfire throughout multiple continents, by the way, because this is North America and the and Europe. So we have the song is 
absolutely just like topping the charts in multiple continents. And this is a song that romanticizes slavery. I don't believe that those things should be separated at all. They can't be separated. Those things, being the fact that the, it's the lyrics. The lyrics, the song was originally supposed to be titled Black P Bleep S-S-Y. The lyrics say brown sugar. What are even the words? Brown sugar, you taste good. Something Brown sugar, how come you taste so good? Brown sugar, just like a young girl should. You can't, there's pedophilia there. There's racism there. There is, oh my gosh, there's so, there's so much wrong with that song. So in no world would you be able to separate those things. In no world would you be able to separate those things. Absolutely no world. I want to bring us back to the early 1900s again. I'm so sorry for this jump in the timeline, but we're going back to the early 1900s, early 1900s again. We're going to look at Disney. Now, Disney, I, I'm a Disney fanatic. I won't, you know, deny that. But we cannot properly appreciate Disney without also condemning it and holding it accountable for its racism. Disney, Walt Disney himself, oh my gosh, we don't even, we don't even have the time, nor do I have the mental capacity to go into all that's wrong with that guy. But Disney has, has created so much damage to so many communities everywhere and this that I'm this <clears throat> piece that I'm about to reference right now is a perfect example so we're going to look at Disney's Fantasia from 1940 so if you would like to click the link in the document to see the comparison between the original film and the censored version you are welcome to do so I'll give you a second to go through that welcome back so if you didn't watch the film it's okay because you'll you'll hear exactly what I'm you'll hear me describe um all that's wrong with it. But if you did watch the film, then you kinda know a little bit more what I'm talking about for the next couple minutes. So Disney's original Fantasia original Fantasia, because I know that there was a version that came out in two thousand, I believe, but um Disney's Fantasia was released in nineteen forty. Um it was an experimental film that combined classical music with, you know, Disney's animation. Um it was a huge thing because it popularized classical music and it was segment it was separated into segments. And so the segment that we are gonna um focus on right now is the fifth segment, which is um an animation over Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony. This is the sync the sixth the Beethoven's sixth symphony. There's so many S's. Beethoven's sixth symphony, the Pastoral Symphony. So um in a book written by Nicholas Salmond, it's called After 75 Years of Magic, Disney Answers Its Critics, Rewrites African-American History, and Cashes In on Its Racist Past. Um, Salmond says, also in the Pastoral Symphony portion of Fantasia 1940, Disney animators included a number of centaurettes. I don't know if I'm saying them right. Centaurettes. One's upper half, torso and head, was a black woman. Her bottom half was a donkey, and the other two... No, her bottom half was a donkey and the other two's upper halves were black women and their bottom halves were zebras. While critics and censors in the 1940s paid in the 1940s paid most attention to the partial nudity of the white and black female centaurs, few paid attention to Sunflower, the half black half girl the half black girl half donkey that was drawn to resemble the stereotypical piccaninny and was the servant of one of the white 
women centaurs. If you saw the film, you know who Sunflower is. This the, this is just so heartbreaking to me because I love, as racist as they've been in the past, I can't, this is just so sad to me because when I think about, you know, Disney's past with, with racist animation, I think of um, Tom and Jerry, which I absolutely will be um, discussing in another episode, but I... I think of Tom and Jerry. I think of I think of Pocahontas. I think of um who else? I think of I'm so sorry. I think of Pocahontas. I think of um the controversy with The Lion King. I think of the controversy with with Princess and the Frog, which which this book by Nicholas Salmon, he really he does a really good job at dissecting um all that's wrong with The Princess and the Frog. He really does a good job with he basically in the book he talks about um, all of these films, especially, 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 especially Princess and the Frog. And he talks about, um, you know, why they're racist and why there's so much um, controversy with those films. And he, he discusses with all those films specific, well, not specifically, but, you know, for example, Princess, Princess and the Frog, how um, he talks about the origins of, you know, Mama Odie's kind of whole deal and how she... She is um, a voodoo priestess and she like the things that she has in her um, house or home or whatever are are of West African influences. She talks about that she the the book Salmon, the author, he talks about in um, Mulan how the not not oh my gosh, not in Mulan, how in Pocahontas, um, you know, the the story of Pocahontas was not accurately um, depicted at all. And how they made her seem like she was much grown, much more grown than she was. And how, you know, falling in love with a white man who came in to colonize her people. He talked about that. He talked about, um, what else? He talked about just other, there, the, the, if you haven't read the book, please do so. Because it is very, very interesting. It's in the Temple Libraries. If you are a Temple student or a Temple staff or whatever, if you would like to read the book, it's in Temple Libraries. If you would like to, it's actually very, very interesting. Um, but when I think of Disney's, um, past with racism, I think of examples like those, but with Fantasia, specifically with the pastoral symphony, the fact that they had to, the fact that they went and censored, um, oh, I'm so sorry. The fact that they went and censored this segment, especially, especially with the censoring being just cutting out sunflower entirely, it was very very um odd to me very odd because i understand this is 1940 racial tensions were still very high people really didn't care white people really didn't care about black people's feelings but you would think at least me personally when i think of characters caricatures when i think of you know in the times when i which i probably just have a warped sense of of you know, this timeline of American racism, I, my timeline is probably just, my mental timeline is probably just very warped, but when I think of these characters, I think of the 1800s. In 1940, my my grandparents obviously weren't in the U.S., but my grandparents were both four years old by this point. 
my mom's grandparents were already in existence and my 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 oh my gosh my mom's parents were already in existence and this is four years before my dad's parents were in existence so I just I think I feel like when I think of the 1940s I think of how like I think of that's so close to now that's so close to now and the fact that Disney created a film with a character that was literally this is literally a this is literally a caricature this is literally the I don't like saying this word I don't like the fact that I had to say it once but I'm not gonna say the word p-i-c-k-n p-i-c-k-a-n-i-n-n-y I don't want to say it again um but this was literally that character if you look at her her skin tone she's um a dark skin brown skin character and she her hair is in like three little braids with a with a bow with a blue bow i believe on all three of them and her lips are big and they're bright and pink and she doesn't talk cuz it's it's obviously it's over um it's over a beethoven you know song so it's just it's just so sad it's so sad and my issue with this is that not only the fact that this is more recent cuz this is only what 80 years ago it's not only the fact that this is a more recent kind of thing but it's also the fact that it's disney and this is fantasia and this is it's it's hard to appreciate it's not hard it's not possible to appreciate movies like this and and I don't I mean I've never seen the whole film so and quite honestly after you know doing all this research I don't really want to but it's really difficult to even think of appreciating this film or even think of um watching you know this this um segment after it's been already censored knowing that they had a caricature in there that not only fulfilled the obviously character of like looking like that that caricature but also this was a servant to the white centaurs sunflower was a servant to the white centaurs and of course you know while she is drawn in the way that she was drawn the white centaurs were absolutely beautiful the white centaurs were pale they were either zebras or they were like donkeys on their bottom half and their bottom halves were like blue, like a pastel blue or pastel like pink or something. Not well, yeah, like a pastel pink or like a pastel purple or green. And they had long, beautiful hair and very, of course, very European features with like red lips and long hair. They were just so beautiful. And then they drew this little black girl as a caricature. And that is just so that's so odd to me. That's so so odd. So <clears throat> This discussion was a lot. We're going, we're going on forty minutes. This this discussion was so much, but if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for, um, you know, just going along with my thoughts. <laughs> thank you so much, um, for listening, and I hope that this discussion was as interesting to you as it was to me. I do want to reiterate, um, what the point of this episode was. The point of this episode was to dissect whether or not racist art can be separated from its meaning or whether or not racist 
forms of artistic expression can't be separated from this meaning if the racism is embedded into the piece. And I very passionately believe that that is not possible. And I've given two to three very solid examples of why that is not possible. Because in no way can you create a racist, an inherently racist form of art, an inherently racist piece of art, and still appreciate it for its creativity. Because what happens? When you create a racist piece of art, when you create a movie such as Breath of a Nation, when you write a song such as The Rolling Soul, when you, when you create a black character such as Sunflower, and you try to say, oh, well, it, yeah, it was racist, but, like, it was pretty. Huh? Yeah, it was racist, but, you know, the song was nice. Oh, yeah, it was racist, but, like, the, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was racist, but look at the, look at the costumes. It was racist, but look at the editing. Oh my gosh, look at the film. Look at all of the... When you when you do that, when you try to excuse or even downplay the racism of a piece that is, in fact, inherently racist, you're looking at the communities that those pieces directly affect and saying, your experiences don't matter. You're saying, what happened to your ancestors does not matter. You're saying, you know... Not even this is not even an apology. You're saying, I know that this is bad for you, but I like it, so it's okay. Excuse me? When you do that, you entirely downplay the atrocities that that community experienced. Completely downplay it. And you try to make it seem like it's not a deal. Not even that big of a deal. You're 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 trying to make it seem like it's not a deal at all because the art was pretty. You have to have a lot of nerve to do that. And so, anyways, I don't I'm going to stop this before I ramble. Thank you so much for following along. I hope you have a wonderful day.